morning, Bucks fans. Happy Wednesday. Happy hump day. It is time for Buccaneers Insider Live presented by Miller Lite. Casey Phillips here with senior writer and editor Scott Smith. And as always, this is where we take all of your questions. And now I'm so excited that we have football things that happened on the football field. Don't don't take away my excitement. I know it wasn't real football in terms of no one was really hitting blah, blah, blah. I don't care. There were Buccaneers players out on the practice field, so that gives us a whole nother group of things to talk about. Uh, so I know you guys probably have lots of questions. And again, for any of those, if you're not already watching on the Facebook page, head on over there and leave your questions for us in the comments section. So as we give people a chance to do that, I just wanted to hear your initial thoughts from the rookie minicamp. Uh, what were you watching for? What stood out to you? What do you feel like you learned? Even though, as we talked about, we know it is not big, full-on 11-on-11 type of football. Oh, I think you might be muted. Maybe. There we go. Microphone, <laughs> microphone issue. Sorry, everyone. It, it, it wasn't so much that it, it wasn't any hitting because <clears throat> there's been no hitting in the offseason for a long time now. It was more that this was not much like the rookie mini camps we became used to before 2020 when everything got canceled uh, because there were only 26 players on the field. You were limited to five tryout players per team. Usually you have about 25, which gets your roster over 50, and it's more like a real practice. There was very little 11 on 11 work on either day. It was a lot of breakout stuff, which is useful. Don't get me wrong. It's useful. It's, you know, it's sort of the building blocks as you're you know, teaching these players the specific movements of different defenses and so on. Um, and it's important stuff, but it, wasn't, it didn't look like much like a, a full – 11 on 11 practice very often but it was good to see for instance Kyle Trask um, Bruce Arians had very glowing praise of him both days uh, again it's just against mostly other rookies and not a lot of uh, full speed work but he was putting the ball where he's supposed to so that's good and and the two linebackers Grant Stewart and KJ Britt step right in as the Mike and the Mo, the, the Devin White and Levante David positions and, and people said they did a good job of, of running the defense so there was some nice things to see out there but again it was sort of limited. And I know there were, uh, you talked about the limited number of guys brought in for tryouts. Uh, there were a few vet players signed after the rookie minicamp weekend. So first of all, kind of explain why there are vets at yeah. what's called rookie minicamp and then who these guys are that we signed and what that means. Yeah. So we used our five and I think some other teams did around the league too, instead of bringing in more rookie undrafted rookies, because really the pool was kind of slim this year uh, and not as many, you know, the entire draft class was smaller and there just wasn't a lot of leftover talent out there most likely and, and it, basically what the Bucks did was use their five spots on veteran players they would have probably brought those five in for regular tryouts anyway if, had there not been a meeting camp so instead they just got to get them an extended tryout really and it, I guess it was a good thing because the Bucks signed four of the five veterans they brought in Antonio Hamilton a cornerback Troy Lane Pope a running back Jarrell Adams a tight end and Curtis Riley a safety and the interesting one there to me is Antonio Hamilton because he played against the Bucks with the Chiefs in Super Bowl 50. He played all 19 games for them, was a core special teamer. So it's almost a little surprising he was sitting out there and had to do a tryout contract. But I think it's a nice depth addition for the Buccaneers. Uh, Jeffrey asked, will we have a chance at keeping four quarterbacks? Well, yeah, if you put one on the practice squad, but I would be surprised. And you can with veterans, as you know, um, there's some exceptions. And if we do end up with the same COVID protocols and we have a 16-man practice squad, then you have 
like six six spots you can use on veterans. So, um, you know, if if you keep three of those guys and don't keep one of the veteran backups, you could potentially put them on the practice squad. Um, but I would be surprised if you carry four on the 53-man roster. It's already a little bit, I wouldn't say a struggle, but it almost feels wasteful already to have a third spot on your 53 for a player that isn't, act, I mean, like last season, wasn't active for a single game. Right, that's true. Um, and Daniel asked, is there anyone that stands out for a punt or kick return so far? Well, nobody stands out because all the practices we've had were the three rookie practices. And again, that's not the whole team wasn't there. And they did do some punt work, though. And and I do think they really would like to see Jalen Darden grab that punt return role, maybe kickoff return. But that role has kind of been diminished anyway you don't get a whole lot of kickoff returns and you could certainly put a running back back there um, but punt return is still an important position and I think they'd really like to see him grab that job for sure okay and Matthew asked uh, who do you think uh, has had the best rookie minicamp so far or who and then he also asked who do you believe has the best chance to make an immediate impact well um you mean I don't know if those are the same questions no, yeah I think they're two separate ones yeah um, there was a there was a cornerback who was an undrafted rookie that we signed named Cameron Kinley, who had a couple picks and and is you know was, he did enough out there to be brought up in, in the post practice interviews with Bruce Arians. So um, in addition to the ones that I mentioned earlier with with Cal Trask and the two linebackers sort of getting good praise, I, I would draw him out. Now who has the chance to make the instant impact? We've I think we might have answered this this last week, and unfortunately for me, it's the boring answer, um, Joe Tryon because. You know, Kyle Trask probably isn't going to play right away. Robert Hainsey is probably a reserve to start. Maybe Jalen Darden uh, and the rest of the guys in the third day get special teams roles. But the one guy that will probably right away get snaps in either offense or defense is Joe Tryon. Because even though you have two great starters in Shaquille Barrett and Jason Pierre-Paul, Joe can work right into that mix and give those guys a break. And also they are talking about him playing on the inside as well. So he can spell guys like Will Golston as well. So um, if he can be versatile and play inside and outside, there's no reason he shouldn't get snaps right away and, and get him on the field and maybe he'll get some sacks. <clears throat> yeah. And it was sad to not get a chance to see him uh, out there at rookie minicamp as much as we would have liked. Uh, what did, what did coach say about that? Joe had a minor scope and the Bucks knew that on his knee, the Bucks knew that before the draft, you know, obviously these things are relatively common these days. So um, they, they think he could be back by the um, mandatory mini camp in June. Uh, so if, if they think there's a good chance of that, then obviously they're not worried at all about the start of training camp. Right. And uh, speaking of who's going to be ready, Scotty asked, will OJ be ready to go? Yeah. The last time the coach talked about him, he said, he's doing great. It's another guy that could possibly play in the mini camp, but I think everybody he's definitely on, time to be ready to go when training camp starts so yeah they're, they're very optimistic about where oj is right now okay um and richard asked other than darden and mickens uh is there anybody else competing for the return job well <laughs> i don't know because we've had three practices and it was only rookies so um yeah, we didn't have a punter we, they weren't doing any punting or kicking off or anything like that those two seem like the obvious front runners. Usually when you're doing training camp, you have four or five guys back there. Obviously, Scott Miller has been catching punts in practice for the last two years. He probably has the highest ratio of punts caught in practice to punt return um, 
uh, reps in actual games. In fact, maybe not because it's probably infinite because I think, I don't think he's been back there for a punt. So it'd be divided by zero, but he has always been involved in the punt return mix. He's always one of the guys back there. Uh, so they can throw him back there knowing that they're comfortable with his hands. Okay. Um, and we, you know, we talked about whether or not there would be four quarterbacks on the roster or not. Now we've had a few people ask, um, who would be the odd man out you think if we don't keep four or what could be some of the decisions about why you keep each guy? Yeah. I, it's, so it's, it really seems kind of obvious. Tom Brady is your starter. I don't think you draft Kyle Trask in the second round and don't at least keep him for his rookie season. And I, I'm saying that on the far end of the spectrum, because obviously I think he'll be around for a long time, but why draft a guy in the second round and then cut him? you know, and risk putting him on the practice squad or something and get snapped up right away. So I think those two seem obvious that they have roster spots. And if, if I'm right about us keeping three instead of four, that means that the competition for probably the, the main reserve behind Tom Brady would go down again to Blaine Gabbert and Ryan Griffin. Now, in, like last year, that was the same case and Blaine Gabbert became the primary reserve, but we kept three. So they all remained this time with Kyle Trask there, the math is a little bit different. So I, I, I don't even really enjoy this discussion because I, I, both those guys have done a lot of great work for the Buccaneers. And it's weird to think about either of them not being around this coming fall. And maybe there's a way they all stay, but just, it seems pretty obvious that it's between those two for the reserve spot behind Tom. Okay. Um, and we had talked about Robert Hainsey and the fact that his versatility is one of the things that, you know, the scouts and coaches really liked about him. Did we learn anything about that and where they might be looking at him during minicamp. Yeah, they looked at him, I think almost exclusively during camp, they looked at him at center, which is a position that he hadn't worked at yet, but he was happy about that because he already basically knows how to play tackle and guard. And center's obviously a very different animal than the other two because you have to snap the ball. And also that usually they're very much involved in the calling out of protection schemes and the, um, you know, if you're switching up schemes or whatever, you're making adjustments. So there's a lot more to it mentally and you have the added physical aspect of having to make good snaps. So, um, <clears throat> you know, the Buccaneers don't have a real obvious backup reserve to um to ryan jensen at center so i think they'd really like to see him be the primary guy there okay um and richard said other than the new england game which game are you most anticipating i like that he took that one off the table the the more obvious answer there i like that he did too um and uh, if you like these type of questions, you can read the roundtables that casey and carmen vitale and i are doing this week on the schedule and in fact that was our topic for week one most anticipated game casey got to go first and took New England, yep. which was what she should have done. Um, I <laughs> I took uh, the Buffalo game in, uh, I think, week 14. I just think that's a just going to be a really fun matchup. We don't get to see Buffalo down here very often, and so it's pretty great that when they do come here for the first time in eight years that it's an exciting Buffalo team because they went through a long drought like the Buccaneers did, even longer uh, since they're really – since their Super Bowl era, since they until they rose to relevance – in recent years, two years ago, they were kind of a, wow, where did they come from team with Josh Allen being okay. And I think they went 10 and six because they were good overall. And then last year, Josh Allen made one of the most remarkable season over season improvements in a quarterback that you're ever going to see and became an MVP candidate. And they became a 13 and three team and lost to Kansas city in the Super Bowl. So <clears throat> that's one of the best teams on the Bucks schedule. And at that point in week 14, if both the Bucks and bills are meeting expectations, 
those are probably going to be key players in both conference races for the playoffs. And so that's going to be one of the big games on the entire NFL schedule. If that's the case. And it's just an exciting team. I haven't got to see Josh Allen play a lot, but I've read a lot about his style of play. I've seen the highlights of course. And uh, I just think he's got, he's loaded with weapons around him just like Tom Brady is. So it could be a really exciting game. How about you? Um, yeah, so Buffalo is what I would have said other than New England, which it actually is what I picked for one of our other round tables of the most exciting offense the Bucks are going to face this next year. And I love that it's in week 14 because I think, you know, everybody expects both of those teams to be in the hunt and that game to really be important and matter at that point. I mean, it would still be exciting even if it was in, you know, week three or something, but I do think there's something about week 14. And I even like that it's down here because so often with an offense like Buffalo that relies so much on passing, you know, if you get into these games in late November and December, they can really get affected by their weather up there. You know, if it's one of those crazy, snowy, rainy, cold Buffalo days, and you, you just might not get to see the peak Josh Allen, Aaron it out type of offense that they really want to do. So the fact that it's down here, I think we'll get to see more peak Buffalo offense um, that time of year. So yeah, I think that that's going to be a really fun matchup to watch and, He's got a, a fun little group of wide receivers there. So I feel like that's going to be a fun battle at that point. So yeah, that was my answer as well. Um, and we had a question from, and now I've lost it. Where to go? Oh, there we go. Kirk said, um, in your opinion, which is the strongest position that Tampa currently has? Well, we have the greatest quarterback of all time. So you could easily say quarterback, <laughs> but I think he probably wants something with more depth to it. Um, it's kind of the same thing at inside linebacker. I mean, you'd be hard pressed to find a better starting duo than Devin White and Levante David. And we do have some more depth now if these rookies work out, uh, but that's a little bit unproven. So I guess I'll have to go with the obvious answer of wide receiver. Um, you know, you got one of the best starting duos. I really like what Scotty Miller brings to the team. I think Tyler Johnson has a lot more he can show this coming year. Um, you know, and, and if you kind of group pass catchers together the way the NFL is these days and, and add the tight ends there, um, you know, some analysts, when they're talking about teams, pass catchers, they just call them all receivers and include the tight ends in there. And, you know, the Bucks have Gronkowski and Cam Brayton and OJ Howard. So pass catching, pass catchers would be my answer. Okay. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, and we'll close with this one. Anthony asked hmm. between Rojo and Fournette, who do you think will get the majority of snaps or will it be more 50-50? Is it really Anthony and not Anthony? Yeah, that's yes. <laughs> I wonder if it's Anthony O'Claire still following his own. Yeah, team. just still paying attention to the Buccaneers. Yeah. He would have said A at the end, though, I guess. Um, what's the question again? Um, he asked, and now I lost it again. Uh, Is it Rojo or Fournette? Who gets more carries? Yeah, Rojo or Fournette, and uh, who do you think will get the majority of snaps? Well, I'm going to go with the incumbent for now, Ronald Jones. Um, he got a basically two-to-one snap or handoff ratio, probably not a snap ratio because um, – uh, Fournette was on the field for more third downs, but he had a two to one handoff ratio in the regular season last year, even after missing time at the end of the season, uh, almost exactly two to one. Now, after Leonard Fournette showed what he could do in the playoffs and then re-signed with the Buccaneers, you got to believe that his share of the offense is probably going to go up some uh, next year, but maybe not enough to actually catch Rojo in terms of, you know, that entire gap of two to one. So, I would go with Ronald Jones, but I do think that Leonard Fournette is going to close that gap some this year. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us on this edition of Buccaneers Insider Live presented by Miller Lite. As always, thanks for those amazing questions and stay with us these coming weeks as we learn more and more about the guys on the field through rookie minicamps and the mandatory minicamps. So we will see you next week. Bye.